0: Hello! This is the Winner Winner Podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Arjuna.
1: And uh, we're back for more Player Unknown's Battlegrounds discussion this week. So happy to have you guys here and listening to us. We've had a lot of developments in this past week. Oh my gosh, there's been so much happening. I'm excited to dive into it. Um, the TLDR is that our community is growing really quickly. Uh, we've had...
0: Here at the podcast.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, we've had... Um, upwards of 3,000 downloads and just been getting more reviews hearing from you guys via email which is wonderful Uh, we love it in fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share an email that we got just today wonderful guy by the name of Guy Padigo maybe it's Guy Um, thanks for writing in he says, hello guys my name is Guy Padigo from Crown Point, Indiana give a shout out to Crown Point Midwest yeah, just giving you some info from what I've gotten from the update on PUBG for Xbox One. As far as I can tell, Blue Holt's done a good job cranking up the FPS as a start, which is nice. Apart, uh, the rubber banding has been a little less frequent, but still an issue. Also, as far as I can tell, you have to be brave to use any vehicle in the game, as that is the majority of my crashes. I assume that means game crashes. Mm. The Xbox struggles to keep up, and you just get black screen for a second and end up at the Xbox dashboard.
0: Mm. So if there's other players out there that experience that on Xbox, you're not alone.
1: Totally. And this this brings up a point. Um, we've had a lot of feedback over the last week, or uh, even a few weeks, that uh, you guys want Xbox info. So I think there are a lot of Xbox players who are coming on the scene with PUBG, and they want to hear some more xbox related content and just want to let you know we hear you guys and we definitely want to deliver on that um so we're going to look for a way to incorporate that more into our show uh but for starters just by trying to keep up on the xbox news and giving some shout outs uh like like from guy Mm -hmm. and um you know we we may in the future figure out a way to get a dedicated yeah. xbox player that, that is trip. our best
0: way to feature xbox right now on the show is to have you guys comment on issues or improvements that are happening on the xbox that we can then report out to other players because we don't have an xbox <laughs> nope <laughs> we play sure on the know. pc so until tell one of us gets an xbox we'll just have to cover it through you guys so you guys can keep us abreast of what's going on there
1: Awesome. And um, just wanted to say, uh, Gonzo, if you're listening to this podcast, you got to lay off the culvers, man. Just just lay off the culvers. Wait, what? (laughs) Don't worry. Gonzo knows who he is. He's going to get the memo.
0: I have no idea.
1: In other news, uh, we have started a Discord server, which I'm really excited about. So uh, you can find the link to that in our show notes. You can also find it on our website, which is winnerpodcast.podbean.com, which is where we're hosted. This is just a really excellent way to find other players who are playing PUBG, especially if you want to get in some duos or squad games, uh, or if you just want to hang out and shoot the breeze and connect with other people who love this game. It's even a good opportunity if you're looking for players for a different yes. game.
0: I'm, I'm super stoked about that because I've, I've been looking for people to play with. And so if you guys jump on, I'm looking for more play styles and different... Um, I have like a small pool of people I play with, but it's always fun to expand and, and learn from new folks. So join our Discord and play with us and other people.
1: Yeah, it's a good opportunity to get in some, you know quality time with the host of the podcast as well. Yeah, oh, another thing is that we've uh, we've been active on YouTube. We've posted a couple Robin uh posted a video version of our episode 6 on there which features some sweet clips of gameplay. Most of the sweet clips are Robin. Yeah. Some of the lame clips are me. <laughs>
0: Are, you haven't been recording though. That's why, guys. That, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. We'll, He's we'll, just starting to record now more with Shadowplay. So we'll see a lot more of Arjuna in the future. Yeah, you can judge my relative skill and andor lameness
1: <laughs> from the source. <laughs> um, and I also posted a video called Anatomy of a Chicken Dinner, which I'm excited about. It's a replay of a game that I played, and I just take you through the tactics of what my thinking was and how I was able to get the chicken. So I'm going to do more of those if I, you know, if I have a, a game that I think is really good and I think there's some useful content in there that uh, we can learn from, I'm going to start posting more of those. So uh, anyway, you can find us on YouTube, Winner Winner Podcast, we'll pop right up and uh, start watching our videos, we're going to be posting more there. Moving right along, i uh, going to be talking about uh, current events in PUBG, we had an update Uh, It was the PC 1.0 update number two Mm -hmm. just came out recently, and I think it's mostly incremental changes. You can now report cheaters from a replay, which is cool. Awesome. Yeah, uh, and provide video evidence, which is really nice. Mm -hmm.
0: I hope that's carrying as much weight as the forum um, post, because I know that's been traditionally with PUBG the kind of best way to report cheaters is you go to the forum and you use the, like, report-a-player forum topic. And that's supposed to be the way to, like, get... kind of expedite it and give it a higher importance. Um, and I wonder how much the in-game one and the, the replay one is really going to affect it, and if they, it'll really reach the kind of to-do list of the development team or anti-cheat team or whoever whoever's list it ends ends up on. But I'm hoping that that works. Um, I haven't used it yet, but I guess it's really hard for users to know whether or not you know any method is effective.
1: Yeah, I know. i I wonder that too. Just how much they're actually paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but clearly, you know, they're banning zillions of cheaters every day, so something's working. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put my faith in the system and hope that they're delivering on their promises there so uh anyway i i don't know about you robin but i'm excited to talk about our weapon highlights yes!
0: uh, this week i mean even last week when we talked about the ak i remember talking about like oh i love the ak it's so beefy and exciting and then i couldn't help but even mention the m249 in that discussion and so here we are um so For the whole overview of the show, first we're going to do this weapon highlight on the M249, and then jump into our location highlight, which is Minas Generales or Minas (laughs) Generales.
1: Generally speaking, yeah.
0: (laughs) And then uh, our main topic is squad versus solo strategy, and what the differences are in terms of how the game might unfold, or how people might play generally in squad versus solo. And... So, jumping into the M249, um, obviously it's a great drop, and it. I guess I've seen people turn it down, I've seen people go nuts with it, and um, I guess we can first talk about kind of what general role would the M249 play. Um, you know, we have like sniper classes, we have the AR class, we have close range classes, And this one is interesting because it can be used for all of them to some capacity, but how well? And so kind of one of the first questions I had about it was whether or not this would really work as an AR replacement, Um, which I've definitely tried. And I'm curious what you think about that, Arjuna. Mm. Yeah,
1: I've tried it in that role, too. I think it's probably the closest analog if you if you needed to put it into a class that wasn't just lmg class right like mm-hmm. machine gun yeah um it it serves reasonably well as an assault rifle replacement in that um it has it it does a similar amount of damage although the fire rate is a lot faster and um it the it the bullets behave, I think, overall in a pretty similar way at range. So, for example, if you put a 4 times mm-hmm. or even an 8 times scope on it, you'll see a bullet drop, which is somewhat analogous to an assault rifle. Okay. And, you, you know, side note, you can definitely do that with this weapon. I There was a game I was playing not too long ago where I was prone up on a hill, and there was somebody down below me, who spotted me, and they had the M249 with an 8x scope on it. Mm. And they basically just, like... How far away were they? They were like, you know, it was like 8x scope distance. Mm, like 200 meters? Something like that. And mm-hmm. they were, I mean, they were zoomed out, so they weren't fully zoomed in. But they just, you know, they put that reticle a little bit above my head, and they just fired a few quick bursts, and it wasted me. Damn! I mean, I was dead. So... You know, hopefully they weren't hacking, of course. Yeah. But um, you could... Were they prone? No, they, wow. were, they were crouching.
0: No shit.
1: Okay. So something to know about this weapon in general is that it's definitely a bury them in bullets kind of a weapon. Yes. <laughs> um, and I know that Ro- Robin has some cool stories about this, too.
0: <laughs> oh, man. In fact, okay, so our last podcast actually has a video... Uh, component so we released it on youtube with just some f- footage as arjuna mentioned earlier and one of the clips is um th- i'm chasing airdrops in this game and i go up on another airdrop in miramar and it's like 100 meters out and i just go prone in the desert vegetation and there's a guy i don't know about 100 meters out i just go prone and when i go prone i can see him next to the crate before i go prone but once i go prone i can't see him at all but i could see i could still like line up where he was and i just sight through the vegetation and just lay down on the trigger and i'm planning on just going through a whole magazine 100 rounds and just seeing what happens and i get him after i think it was like 59 rounds <laughs> epic it was I, so fun
1: i love watching that video you you literally just see like grass it's like most of the screen is grass and then you see Robin's M249 <laughs> just, like, shaking and shaking and shaking. And then, like, eventually you just see, like, one kill.
0: <laughs> so we should talk about the prone thing. Because there's two weapons in the game that have a... No, three. There's three weapons in the game that have a bipod. Um, the M249, the MK14 EBR, and then that, the other LMG, DP28. And if you go prone with these weapons, they're much more stable because it actually employs the bipod. And so that's my kind of go-to with the M249. Of course, there's other disadvantages to being prone, um, such as mobility. But I've had some definitely positive situations. It's best if you haven't been spotted and you have a jump on someone and they're at a distance. You can just go prone and lay into them. Um, So that worked out there, but... I I love it for that reason. It's also a very good anti-vehicle weapon. Um, almost any other gun, if you come up against a vehicle with full health, you can't take it down without reloading if you're one person. If you're a squad and everyone's aiming their AR at a vehicle, you can pr- easily take it down if most people land most of their shots. But if you're alone and there's a... Let's say you're <laughs> against a squad for some reason and you're bold and... You can totally take out a vehicle with the M249 or even the DP28 um, if you land most of your shots, which I I just love that potential. Um, and so I'm I'm often aiming for those kinds of like situations to unfold. Um, so that's why I like it. Um, uh,
1: it's so epic when you pull it
0: off. Yeah. Like there's no feeling better mm-hmm. than just
1: mowing down a UAZ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think. This is also, if, if you're up against a whole other squad, I think this might be one of the better weapons to have because of the large magazine. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you just run up on several people, you can mow them all down. And we actually have a friend, Alex, who's appeared on previous podcasts here, mm-hmm. uh, has an epic video where he actually just takes out three squad members... It, it right. just, in one magazine, he never stops firing.
0: Yep, that thing is still, that's burned into my memory, where it's it's Endgame, and he's working toward the, cir- like the inner circle, and this squad pours out of a house that's right behind him, and he doesn't know they're there. He just turns around and sees three people pouring out of a house 20 feet behind him, and just starts lighting them up and takes all of them down. I don't even know if they got a shot off on him. <laughs> yeah. It's just... best yeah
1: that's and that's that was he probably shot like at least 60 bullets Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. if not more yeah so that that large magazine is a huge selling point of the gun um that and the fast fire rate i mean if you're if you're bullet racing you're gonna win against just about any other gun with this gun
0: Mm -hmm. there's a couple of disadvantages to it one is that there's no no attachments at all except for scope and so every other gun in the game I believe except for the DB20 the DP28 and the um M249 can take a suppressor and the LMGs cannot. And it's kind of fun when I think about it cuz there's other games that I play where the LMG is typically used as a suppressive role like in Battlefield. So in Battlefield you might be in a squad and there's actually a suppression effect in the game, which is very different. Whereas if you if bullets are whizzing by you, they actually blur your vision and mess up your hearing a little bit. And so LMGs are perfect for that. In this game, they're more of an intimidation factor. And they, there's the advantage of having the large magazine where you can just kind of spam bullets and not worry about reloading for a while. Um, of course, if you do, it takes a while, but... Um, so I've been thinking about trying that with this in PUBG a little bit more is just equipping the LMG in a squad and going prone, being kind of sneaky, being somewhere low profile. And when my squad is engaged, just kind of intimidate the other squad with it. Um, and you can't be silent, so they'll know where you are. In fact, fuck, everyone within, like, a kilometer is going to yeah. know
1: where you yeah, are. Yeah, it's one of the loudest
0: weapons <laughs> in the game. I was watching some fuglet footage earlier, and he was noting um, the LMG fire from afar. Um, and that's the thing about spamming, too. If you're playing as a suppressive role, you're going to draw a lot of attention to your squad. So you, you guys have to be ready to take that on when people start coming your way um but it's still it's kind of a bold and fun like i i like i often find myself saying this kind of the loud and proud strategy (laughs) just kind of be brazen about it it's more fun well yeah and i mean if
1: if you're the kind of person who wants to like yell arnold schwarzenegger quotes (laughs) while like doing full auto this is the gun for you yeah. You I, know, I need to get my iron like, quotes down. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's, um it's loud. Know, yeah. It's very loud and it it has some very intense recoil as well. Um the, you know, even when it's in the bipod, it can be a tough weapon to control. So, I would recommend burst fire just, you know, hold click for a second let go do it again
0: yeah um it It depends man i don't know i don't know like if if i'm prone i will just hold down that trigger even like up to 100 meters um and so that's that's my go-to if someone has if someone's further than 30 feet away uh, and i have like a little bit of time i'll just go prone and just lay down the trigger on them lay down the trigger lay down the trigger (laughs)
1: so yeah well that's the m249 it's just a sweet weapon um think you just pick it up for the sweet factor i'm stoked to move on to our location segment which is minas generales um this is one of my favorite places to drop on miramar both in solos and in squads and um there are a number of reasons for that First of which is that it's centrally located in the map, um, and yet it's not as hot of a drop zone as a lot of the other centrally located places. Now, I've definitely had hot drops there, but I find it on average to be a pretty reasonable place to drop, and especially in squads, I've found it to be. Usually, you'll only have one other squad dropping there with you, and You can always peel off across the street there's like more warehouses to the west of minas generales so you can usually find your zone here uh and it's so let's talk about the layout of minas generales it's kind of i think of it as like there's like the uphill portion and the downhill portion
0: yeah and the downhill definitely has more loot i believe there's more buildings and just places to be uphill. There's structures, but it's those up at the very top. It's these kind of platforms built into the hill, and with barrels on them. But there's there's no building really. There's nothing to be inside of. It's a great kind of sna- uh, sniping vantage point. But the loot is a little bit thinner up there. I like to go right in the middle, um, kind of middle west side. So that really, actually, we should do an overview. Um, aside from uphill, downhill, there's also west which is there's a road that kind of loops around it to the south side. And to the west side of the road, there's another set that I consider part of Minas. But when I say Minas, I don't generally mean there. I I mean like the main part. And then that's kind of the um, appendage or whatever. Yeah, it's like West Minas. West Minas. And so I'll usually go to main Minas. And I like to drop... um, I wonder what we call these. They're like... these tank complexes that have these large cylindrical tanks with staircases and scaffolding built around them. Um, And I find that I I like to loot those. Um, The base of them, the the platform that they're built on tends to have good loot and it's easy to loot, no doors. And then once you get the base loot, um, you might find a rifle and you can start looting the stairs and scaffolding. And from up there you have a vantage point and the walkways have these uh, tin barriers along them um, periodically. So you can just kind of crouch along those if you start coming under fire um, or even prone behind them and you have plenty of cover. And so I've had a lot of firefights where I'm, I take a position up there or just if there's people in the area, I'll loot the upper part of it and try to get some reconnaissance on the other people in the area and start sending rounds their way from that location so yeah
1: those those are a really fun place to fight from they offer a lot of strategic opportunities um they they can be difficult to hold so like you know you have to watch out because you can get shot from many many angles when you're on those like someone like for example if you're up above someone can shoot you from below uh they can also shoot you from uphill or down what do you mean below Like like from the concrete base Mm-hmm. Right? Right, right. So you just, you have to be aware when you're in those that, um, you know, on the ground floor of it, you're visible from above, and
0: when you're above, you're visible from below a lot of the right. time. Depending. I mean, like, the tanks, the tanks have a really good, if you're up above, and there's people below you, the tanks would be great cover. Right. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the the walkways can be precipitous. Mm-hmm. So you need to pay attention for that. Yeah. And... I wanted to call out, there's this style of warehouse, which you find here, which they're in a few other places in the map, but they're really unique, I think. And I, I've uh, talked about these before. I call them like warehouses on stilts, where it's, it's maybe like a grain silo or something like that. But it's like a, the, the majority of the building is actually on the top floor and it's they're like held up by these support structures and you you there's like a staircase that runs up into the bottom floor which is a pretty small area
0: mm, and then okay are so you yep. know what i'm and talking those are about just in minas right
1: they're in minas i think there's a few in north impala oh
0: yeah 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 i think you're right okay yeah yep yep, yep. i know what you're talking about yeah
1: but it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely like a mining town mm-hmm. feature
0: i love those they're, buildings they're so cool yeah i i kind of wish they got more action i'll find that often it'll be i'm in one and someone else is in another one and then fighting between them is kind of awkward um i've definitely had some firefights that went that way and it's kind of just a peak fest Mm, yeah um but yeah it'd be fun to i kind of wish there was more like breaching opportunity with them Mm. um like kind of a more swatty um, play style with them, but I, I I don't really find that generally in battlegrounds. No, because um, people are so far apart. So you, it's usually building a building, or you know, sometimes you like going in after people. But yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um, a good thing to know about these is they're actually optimized for loot running, which I like. So what you can do is you run in the stairs at the bottom and you hit the mm-hmm. lower level and then they spit you out onto this deck, which leads up to the upper level. You hit the upper level, and then um, if you run into, there's like a room on the end of the top level, which actually has a hole in the floor, right. and you can drop down safely. You don't take any damage. It drops you back down to the initial platform. So it's an efficient mm-hmm. way that I think that just really streamlined. You can run through the building, and yeah. in one kind of a
0: spiral, you can loot the whole totally. thing. Good point. I know we've complained in this show before about the flow pattern, the loot flow of some buildings, and that is one that has a good flow. Totally. Yep. Another point for me
1: Totally. And it's also just, if if someone is trying to get the flank on you, um, you know, if you're in the top floor and you see someone running up to the bottom floor and they look like they're going to try to come up and get you, it's a really great way to get the drop on them. Literally.
0: Yep. I've always expected someone to do that to me and no one has yet. So... It's unexploited, people. Do it. Drop through the floor. Take people down. Like a spider. <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah. Um, as far as loot goes, I've found this place generally has pretty good loot. I feel like usually we get at least one or two pieces of level three gear here. Mm-hmm. You know, some snipers. You can pick up some 8 times scopes. So, I I've mm-hmm. found it to be pretty good. What about you?
0: I love it. I... In fact, we were going to cover a different location this week, and I just couldn't get myself myself to stop stop or stop dropping at Minas, um, <laughs> and so we ended up just doing Minas this week for our location. Um, so that tells you something yeah. about how much I like it. Yeah, um, keeps you coming back. Mm-hmm. It's got vehicles too, so you're not stuck there. There's a road that encompasses it, um, and then any places you go after that, if the circle ends up east, you can go to Impala. If it ends up south, you can go to the crater town Bendita. Um, and then, I guess, west, if you go a little west, we end up um, around Hacienda, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also the graveyard there. Graveyard just west, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And north is kind of a uh, wasteland. Yeah.
1: It's true. And there is, there's like a very tall mesa that's right, right north mm-hmm. of Minas, which is yep. an interesting spot.
0: You can. Get up there yeah. on top of the mesa, yeah. If you if you desire it in your heart,
1: yeah. I um, think we shouted this out before, but Fuglet got up there once, and it was just wreckage town. Yep, yep. So that's Minas Generales. Um, probably. Yeah, I would say my number one drop spot on Miramar. Ditto. Ditto. So um, check it
0: out. Okay, so main topic today. We've got squad versus solo strategy.
1: Yeah, this is um, clearly a big topic, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it today, but just start chipping away at that diamond there. So, yeah, what, Robin, why don't you kind of give us a... Uh, you suggested this topic, and I thought it was mm-hmm. such an excellent thing to talk about. So do you want to just give us an overview of, of what you're thinking about here?
0: Yeah. So the main thing that I was thinking about is how different it feels to me when I'm going to sit down for a PUBG session and either some of my friends are playing or they're not, or I don't even check and I don't care because I want to play solos <laughs> and like how different that feels to me when I decide that I'm going to do some solo rounds versus squad rounds and what the diff, like what, how can we account for that difference and h- how can we talk about it and um, what can we learn from our playstyles between the two different game modes? Um, and you know, I think the way that we're going to break this down is kind of talk about how a match unfolds and how what the decision-making process is from the beginning to the end of a match during a squad versus a solo uh, match. And so, um, I mean, that's kind of the overview. And I think my, one of my themes throughout this discussion is going to be um, for solos for me, I feel c- kind of liberated and like, I have a lot more room to experiment and just kind of follow my own instincts and um, decision-making processes, which of course is, you know, like anything, if you do it by yourself, it's a hell of a lot easier because you'd have to deal with other people's whims and um, perceptions. But, um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming at it from is is what is the difference and um what can we you know what does it mean for your playstyle and does the other type of playstyle if you do predominantly one, maybe it'll hold some some um, opportunities for you to learn something different. So love it, yeah, love it
1: um i I also experience that sense of freedom when I'm playing solo. And quite frankly, it can be fun playing solo to just be able to do something stupid, right? Yes. Like <laughs> Like sometimes you just get a you get a wild hair up your ass and you just want to do it and you know, to hell with it if it doesn't go well, right? Totally. So yep. in squads if you do that, then you know, you might get some pushback from your teammates and also you might just spend 15 minutes not playing after it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I think there's a, a kind of, like, scientist in me that, for me, um, there's, like, really no such thing as a, spail, um, sorry, a failed experiment in PUBG, where as long as I'm, like, trying something new, then it's either I'm going to succeed, and that's going to be great, and I found a new thing I can employ, or... I ruled something out as something that doesn't work that well, at least in one case. And, you know, it usually takes several tries to really try something and see if it's going to work out. There's just so many factors, but, um, yeah, that's, it's definitely a part of it for me is I feel like w- winning is like, meh, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but getting in there and feel like I have discovered something about the game. Um, is, is a it's really a, an approach I enjoy about PUBG. Um, and there's just, there's so much to learn and experiment with in the game. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love that.
1: And it reminds me of, I read this book once called The Art of Learning, and it's by a, a guy named uh, Josh Waitskin. And he was the, he was the successor to Bobby Fischer as being like child world champion, child prodigy at chess. And then he actually went on to become a world champion at Tai Chi, competitive Tai Chi as well. So this is a guy who's like, you know, he's he has worked himself up to be a world champion in two different highly competitive subjects. And he wrote this book that I read. It's, uh, yeah, it's called The Art of Learning. And one of my favorite things that I learned in that book was he talks about losing in order to win. Yes. And so he's like you're not what you shouldn't be trying to do is win every game he's like what you should be trying to do is learning to be a better player and and eventually winning becomes a byproduct of being a better player so he's not going into every chess match thinking how can i win this match he's going in thinking how do i become a better chess player
0: right or what can i try this game to see if it works or if it doesn't yeah totally yeah
1: So, you know, I apply that a lot in solos. Now, you know, in squads, squads is probably not the place for experimentation unless
0: you've got the buy-in of of your whole squad. Right. You know, I have to chime in there on the whole leader thing that I was thinking about, which I think that squads actually has room for this experimentation uh, play style. And the the way that it does is if when you play squads, you guys designate a leader in your squad, and I definitely advocate for a rotation of leaders and, and squad play style. Cause it would be really shitty to have the same person, oh, man. person leading every time. Yeah. Um. Even if it's like, I noticed that when we don't do a leader, which we haven't been lately, um, that the best player, and this is true for a lot of things in life, whatever you're doing, the person who's the best at it is going to kind of be the default authority And and kind of an informal, even unconscious way in the group dynamic where people will kind of... Everyone might be able to voice an opinion, but the person who's best, people will generally kind of defer um, to what they say. And so, like, a couple of people might chime in, and then, like, the top player's like, yeah, kind of thinking, like, this other thing. And then it's just kind of like... You don't even have to say anything after that because everyone just goes with it, (laughs) which is fine. Because, you know... In some cases, that works as kind of an organic, whatever, like decision making human thing that we do. Um, I think that there's room to be conscious and, and deliberate about designating leadership in PUBG and just rotating it through the squad. I've done this um, with groups that I've played with, and it's a really fun experience because you get to see, you get to learn about each other and each other's play styles and the way that. They think about the game and the, and the things that they enjoy, the things that they don't. And also, you try things that you never would on your own. Um, there are people I've played with who have play styles that I'm just, like, I'm not excited about, but we end up being really successful. Um, I remember Liz was an example of that, where we, we we would rotate leaders, and she would pretty much always get us the furthest <laughs> in the game. Um, and I think she was a little bit less like brazen than the rest of us, and would just would would make these kind of more rational decisions about the kinds of risk we would expose ourselves to and um uh, we would get a lot further um and and still kick a lot of ass along the way so
1: yeah it's a it's a good thing to be thinking about play style um and that that was one of the bullets on our list to talk about um which is that there are so many ways to play this game. You know, you have the people on your team who, like, they hear shots over the hill, and they just want to run up there and fuck them up, right? Um, and right. then, you know, you have the people like, like um, me lately and Robin, who, are, you know, are greedy fucks and, like, every package that drops we're just, like, trying to rouse the whole team to go and grab the package, right? And then you have, like, those people who want to drop, really far from the action and hug this the edge of the circle the whole round and you know they're really like eye on the prize like don't care how many kills i get don't care if i make sweet plays as long as we get that chicken right mm-hmm. um so there are, and then you know there are people who prefer to hug the edge of the circle there are people who prefer to take a hilltop in the center of the circle so this is a lot to deal with when you're in a squad is these differing ambitions um, mm-hmm. between your team teammates and especially as you get more hours into the game you're going to start to have your own preferences you'll have your own experiences you'll have things that you found worked well and things that didn't and those might differ from the other people you're playing with so it's a really really important thing to consider when you're getting into it is just you know what what are our various motivations and how do we sculpt all of those into a cohesive game plan um, yeah and so I, I love the idea of appointing a leader because
0: it it takes a lot of that exactly. chatter out of it. Yeah, forget it. Like, forget it. Like, I don't have to, you know, if I'm the leader, I don't have to think about, you know, your play style or, or one of my other teammates' play styles and whether or not this is going to please them because they're going to have their turn. Um, and we get to just, you know, try. It, it's the kind of, each person gets a turn being the dictator of the group. And I, I like that a lot. Um, and usually I've I've found that whenever we do it everyone's happy to fall in line and um, and I've even you know kind of wasted my 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 leadership role a couple of times not wasted but um, done something fun right like where we all drop on different corners of the map and try to like get (laughs) like reunite somewhere right knowing that the chances since all of us are separate in a squad map the chances of us being able to survive and reunite are really small but it sounds like it's such a fun premise Right? Like if you pull it off. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, it mm-hmm. definitely,
1: yeah, it just leaves so much space to have a different kind of game. Totally. And, so,
0: and there's like, that's the thing about PUBG is like, this is, it's going to last 33 minutes or so tops. There's a lot of, there's some limitations in terms of where you can go, but generally it's a very open-ended thing and you can do things very differently each time if you want to, or if you have a reason to, if you want to try something different. And so I I think we kind of get in these patterns and it's fun to think outside of them and to do something new. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I
1: couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, So Joanna, let's get talking about like the phases of the game and how you might make different decisions if you're solo versus squad. Mm-hmm. so we start out with the drop it's the you know the beginning of every PUBG game is you're figuring out where to drop and right away you're faced with a playstyle decision do you want to drop hot do you want to go to a place where a lot of other people go do you want to be fighting immediately mm-hmm. or do you want to be playing more cautiously so yeah.
0: this and there's only so cautious you can do with squads right because if you drop somewhere too quiet you're not going to get any loot for everybody right or- yeah, yeah
1: it's, that's always the tension. I mean, you have that in solos as well, but not quite as much. Yep. Um, so the, the first consideration is really, where can I drop that's going to have enough loot for my whole squad? Um, I highly recommend against dropping in a place that can't immediately kit up a full squad. At least with, you know, you, you ideally want your whole squad to leave your first location with with all of their boxes checked, helmet, vest, backpack, and at least one decent primary weapon, right? Um, And there are a lot of places on the map that that have that amount of loot, uh, but there are many places that don't. So be aware when you're dropping. You know, if you have a squad of four and you're dropping on a place with four little buildings, you're not going to get your bases covered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's not good for anyone. It it really isn't. You're going to spend the rest of that round Try frantically trying to get everyone looted up, and mm-hmm. it's it's gonna cause heartache so
0: um unless you do my strategy and everyone drops to different corners then you can <laughs> drop wherever you the want the map is your oyster <laughs> man yeah
1: so so you want you know there's this tension in uh especially in squads there's this tension between we want to drop somewhere that's hopefully safe enough that all you know up to four of our squad mates can successfully loot without getting murdered first but we also want to drop in a place that has enough loot and sweet enough loot for our squad so I just thought I'd list off some places on each island uh, which I guess uh, Miramar is technically not an island Mm -hmm. but on each map places you can go and their relative levels of hotness or popularity so on, on Erengal we have, uh, first of all, these are some milder drops that can support a full squad, and I've listed probably my number one choice at the moment is the Watertown. This is like a place where it's, it's not super popular, and you can definitely get your full squad kitted there. Um, another place would be the Mansion slash the Hill House. Uh, they're right next to each other. And it's not that these aren't a popular location, but you can usually peel off from, if the mansion's hot, you can peel off to the Hill House or you can hit north. Uh, it's not ideal, but you'll you'll get your loot. Um, and then uh, these next three are coastal towns. We've got Zarki, Severny, and Milta. Uh, and actually what's the, the fourth one, um, north of Milta power. What's that one called? Lipovka. Lipovka. Yeah. Right. So these four towns, I find them to be, um, it's kind of a toss up. Like sometimes you drop there and you have them all to yourself and sometimes you don't, but I, unless the flight path is directly over these, I find that they tend to be good, a good bet. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those are very on the fringes and so i i know lately we've been doing a lot of crate chases so those don't tend to be as appealing cuz we want to drop middle for those right but they are you know they're big towns and they don't have a lot of people dropping there they might have you might have one or two maximum squads if it's right on the flight path i guess if it's right on the flight path you might even have three others um if it's an early drop but um yeah, I don't. People don't go for the fringes as much as the middle. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I like those towns. It's easy to set a place marker and have people drop around it, and then your squads, you know, more or less close knit um, during that initial drop, so you can defend each other. Um, so yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, so harder drops on Aringal are actually the hospital it tends to be a really popular place. Um, uh, however, hospital can. Sometimes equip your whole squad, which is really Mm -hmm. sweet. Usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's amazing. Um, And then, of course, there's the Milter Power and Main Power Complex uh, over there on the eastern side of the map, which is, man, the loot there is sweet, but it's almost always contested.
0: Yeah, I I love it. Yeah,
1: that's (laughs) one of my favorite places to drop, for sure. And, yeah, of course, we don't call it Robin's Place for nothing.
0: Oh, yeah, It's, it's my spot.
1: Now, obviously, the school is the school is the school man that's always going to be a fight mm-hmm. um, Razak I you know Razak is overall it's one of my favorite places to drop just because it's, it's so varied and the games I have there often feel very different um, and I think it's a great place to level up if you're a player who's wanting to really get better at the game I think Razak is a mm. fantastic place to drop yeah Uh, It's just, it prevents uh, fights at all ranges. And I never find it to be oppressively hot, but it's usually well attended.
0: Right. No, I agree. Yeah. Like if you end up going through three buildings and you have just a pistol, you can probably still bail. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's just getting hot. But um, no, usually, usually it's a like you said, I think school is oftentimes you drop school. And within the first 10 seconds, your fate is decided (laughs) based on whether or not you found a good weapon. Yeah, did you find Um, a shotgun or not? Yeah. And then Razak, usually you can see where other people are going, kind of go a couple of buildings away, um, hope that they don't find something awesome and rush you when you have nothing. But um, that's that's the case anywhere. So, yeah, definitely a good spot. Yeah.
1: Now, and then, of course, there's Pachinki. If you just want to be a, a gangster... Than dropping Pachinki. If you're a, if you're a big bad mean bully mm-hmm. that likes to ruin other people's games, <laughs> then Pachinki is a great place to land.
0: I think it's Pachinki is one of those places where it's pretty much as hot as cool, but it's a lot bigger. And so if you're coordinated with your squad and you're, in your squad's trying to kind of get better, I think Pachinki is a good place to test yourselves. Um, to see if you can get through that alive and keep each other alive. Mm. Um, uh, closer Razak in that way, yeah. but just a little bit hotter than Razak. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and oh, it's so claustrophobic, man. It's like I think of you know Pachinki's like the city of nightmares for me. It's like it's like so many houses with mm-hmm. no space between them and windows everywhere.
0: I love it. Yeah, I, I wish there was more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep yeah and their rooftops in pachinki yeah. are kind of unique where you they're close enough that you can jump from one to the other people don't really expect that totally
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah it, it, the tactics are endless in pachinki so mm-hmm. it's a great
0: place all right but we
1: digress yes just, yes <laughs> now um and then just want to call out miramar as well um some mild drops in miramar are minas generales it's a you know great place uh, also i find the western cities el pozo chumacera and monte nuevo all tend to be it's not that there's going to be no one there but they're not these you know swirling cloud of flies kind of drops the way some of the other ones are
0: mm-hmm.
1: i've also found the northern cities to be a little calmer so that's la cobreria which i don't know if i've ever dropped there before um There's Torre Ahumada and Cruz del Valle and Tierra Bronca. I apologize, people. Um,
0: (laughs) You're doing good. I apologize,
1: my accent here. But um, anyway, these are all places that I think you can have a fair likelihood that if anyone else drops, it's just going to be one other squad. Or if you drop there in solos, it's just going to be one or two other shoots.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then, the hotter drops for Miramar is kind of the usual suspects with Picado, Hacienda del Patron, and San Martin, Los Leones, which we mm. talked about last Sometimes. episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's people there, but they're hard to find. Um, Impala out on the east coast, uh, the prison down in the southwest, which everyone knows is the Spawn Island or Spawn location, and then the military base up in the northeast. Um, and, yeah, I see you're saying it's more of an even distribution on Miramar. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it's it's harder to tell
1: on Miramar where the people are going to go mm-hmm. um, and more contextual with the flight path. Whereas I feel like on Erangal, maybe it's just that people's preferences are more cemented from
0: mm-hmm.
1: having it for I the better part of a year.
0: I I think I I'm kind of a little bit disappointed in how spread out the new map is to be honest mm,
1: Interesting. Like
0: I, i've been in like love fest mode with the new map for a long time and now i'm i'm kind of after the honeymoon and realizing that th- just the pace of the map feels it feels um i don't know just really spread out like you're not as likely to encounter people um like i feel like when i'm hoofing it through the desert like, think about hoofing through the de- desert in Miramar versus hoofing through the forest in mm. Arangal, mm-hmm. and the kind of, like, imminency of, of risk that you feel in both of those. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel like there's more potential for encounter in, in Arangal, um, Yes, generally.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's funny because the desert has these huge expanses, and so it makes you feel like, oh, I can just see for miles. Uh, but then you have these moments where you're like, man, I just ran for like five minutes through these vast expanses and I didn't see anybody, mm-hmm. right? So I agree. And in Arangal I feel more like, you know, every tree could have somebody behind it mm-hmm. and and more often does.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: So, um, so, okay. So once you've, you know, once you've decided uh, how hot you want to drop uh, and the next question to answer is, where do you go next? Um, and I think that this brings up the the point of vehicles are really important in squads. Um, I would venture to say they're more important in squads than they are in solo. Mm. Um, and I don't... That's just a gut feeling. I don't quite know why I feel that way. But I just feel like in squads, it, you know... If you get left behind in squads, it's just, it's really brutal. Right.
0: You know? Well, and also if you're alone, you can kind of hop from property to property, even though there's a lot of walking and you'll still get a little bit of loot each time, but think about hopping from like shack to shack as a squad. Oh, like, yeah. forget <laughs> about it. Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Yeah. 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 I've noticed I think about vehicles differently in solos where, I'm pretty much out I'm looking for a vehicle in early game, unless I end up in the middle of the circle. Um, but if I have to go across the map, I like getting a boat, especially if the circle is highly offset to one side of the map, because then I can just boat over to the coast that's end of the circle. And, you know, with any luck, if it's not kind of right on the flight path, go get that really unpopulated part of the circle that's on the far side of the map mm. from where the flight path was. Mm. And I've had a lot of good solo games that way, where instead of taking a car to the close spot on the land, you're taking the boat to the far spot on the coast. And then you usually have some like free, you know, loot for it It could be a whole town that people aren't really bothering to get to. But, you know, sometimes you find other people that think that way and they either drive to it or boat to it and you have a couple of contenders. But um, I've definitely had some good luck with that. Yeah, and you're probably
1: speaking mostly
0: uh, Erringal here, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep.
1: Oh, you, can, you can do it in Miramar too, though. Yeah. Um, I think, as well, another reason why vehicles are important in squads is that um, Robin talks about this a lot about how when you move, you're vulnerable. So you, you're more likely to get spotted um, and you're more likely to, to get caught out of cover and the the danger of that becomes magnified in squads um Mm -hmm. both because there's more of you to get spotted but also because if another squad sees you there's more of them to shoot at you in in an exposed or a bad position Mm -hmm. or maybe just to take you by surprise so you might lose one or two teammates before you even know where you got shot from right uh, so that's a thing to consider and of course it, it is risky now now on the counter side of that when you're in a squad vehicles become risky in the sense that if you, if you have a four man squad piled into one vehicle and that vehicle blows up you're all dead mm-hmm. so I think this also
0: if you're all in one car and people are just flinging bullets at you you know one person in that vehicle versus four they're more likely to land a shot if there's four of you right totally yeah absolutely yeah so,
1: and of course, it's pretty much death. If you're in a vehicle and you get knocked out of it in squads, I mean, you, you can all but just kiss your game goodbye. Like, um, mm-hmm. because they're probably not going to come back for you and you're probably going to get finished off in the meantime. Yeah. So I think that this highlights the, the benefit of finding multiple vehicles in squads. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say two minimum and... Having more can it can just give you more options, you know if you need to abandon one vehicle or if one vehicle runs out of gas, or if you flip a vehicle, yep uh, it's nice to have, and another you know just on a on an offensive note, if you have four vehicles, it's more vehicles to run people over with
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you
1: know which Definitely. matters sometimes, yeah.
0: yeah you know, but the more the more gameplay I see in this, just through myself and watching other people, the more I see vehicles as like a fun death <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the sense that if i'm let's say I'm out in the open and I, there's a vehicle that are here nearby me the f- the first thing I think is not not oh shit, there's a vehicle like I definitely think a little bit defensively, but it's usually pretty easy to think of a way to like knock it, run over. And the second thing I'm thinking is like, Oh yes. Like I'm definitely like excited to like mow this person down in their car, like with my AR or whatever weapon I happen to have equipped. Um, cause I think that vehicles are easy targets. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty stoked usually if I hear one, um, cause I'll just start lighting it up. And if, if you start lighting them up early, they generally won't charge. Mm, um, mm-hmm. and if they do, they've lined themselves up for you. Um, and if you die, well, maybe they had a motorcycle, and they're really fast and good at aiming it, but <laughs> mm-hmm. generally, you could take down vehicles, so like the whole vehicle strategy is to like get the vehicles early, get to where you need to be soon, so that you're not getting taken down by people who got there before you.
1: yeah uh, yeah, that's true. and if you're you know one of the easiest ways to die in squads is to roll up right into the middle of an occupied compound in your vehicle. Yes, the middle drop.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate that when I'm, like, in a squad. Yeah. And the driver just, like, drives us straight into the middle of it. So yeah. it's like, okay, well, we could get hit from any angle. Like, I, I always, when I'm driving, I'll bring us to the closest edge of a compound behind, like, as close to the side of a structure as I can get and park it there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's solid. And even... You know, the cautious play style, I think, pays off a lot. Like, even if you park, if there's like a berm that's right next to a compound and you park behind that, it can give you a lot more options. Or even if there's just any cover, if there's like a container on mm-hmm. the edge mm-hmm. of a compound, you can just park behind that. And it it's just, it just decreases the likelihood that you're going to have a house full of people shooting down into you right when you pull up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So, yeah. So um, this this whole question of where do you go next, right? Um, I think in, again, in solos, you, you have so many more options, I think, than in squads. Um, I think a lot of what drives where we go next in squads depends on how well we're looted, right? So um, you're more likely to... To want to stop off at random locations, or maybe drive into a big city and keep looting, if you're missing something that you need in your squad. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I find in, I don't know, in so I guess it's not so different in solos necessarily. Like you'll you'll keep looting if you need to, mm-hmm. but I feel like you know the likelihood that you have one person who needs to loot versus four people. It's just, I think you're sometimes more likely to have another squad mate who who still wants to loot.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that kind of is the whole like play style thing of what, what are people trying to do in the game? How are they trying to play? Um, People do tend to sometimes fall into loot mode. It's like they they think they're looting until, like, there's three people left, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. That Which, is not my playstyle. Not mine either. Like, I, I get a couple of decent guns and, you know, level 2 armor. And I'll fight people before that if they're around, but um, I'm feeling pretty adventurous after, like, level 2 armor and, like, a single mm-hmm. AR. Let's go. Mm. I agree, Matt. Loot dead people, dude. Just loot dead people. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep, go kill someone and take their stuff and let know, them do the looting.
1: It's like, do you want to spend 20 minutes looting? Because I don't. So, uh, you know, again, play style, good to figure out. Do we want to loot? Do we want to keep
0: looting? Or do we want to get stuck into the action? So the other really exciting aspect of squads that I like, and you see this in a lot of other multiplayer games, is the idea of having roles or classes in your squad. And I've seen other people break this down, actually only one, I, I think WTF Moses did a video, in fact, I know it was him, and talked about different roles that you could have in a squad. And he went into a little bit of detail and, and had some ideas that I don't think were super practical, Practical, but some of them were. For example, the leader idea um, is definitely something I took away from him and that we've been implementing here and there. Um And, you know, think about some roles or classes that you see in other video games. Often there's like a medic class, which in this case doesn't make as much sense because everyone can have meds. Um, But we talked already earlier about having this kind of support or LMG class that can be your kind of noisemaker slash suppressive and intimidation role, which I love. Um, And... It's It kind of brings up the idea of what kind of weapons should people have in order to uh, kind of maximize what the whole squad can do. So, like, thinking of the squad as a Swiss Army knife, where each person has a kind of, everyone can sustain themselves and play a generic role, but also can do something special. And so I like the idea of everyone in the squad, everyone should have an AR, just because it's a highly versatile mm. and effective weapon. Agreed. Right, But what do you have in addition to that? And that's where it gets interesting. Is I think having probably one to two long-range people that have a DMR or a sniper rifle that can really be effective at range, um, and then having one person that's maybe specialized for close range where they could be the leader in close quarters combat with a shotgun, um, to really kind of take the lead or an uzi whatever and then what's the other goal i said sniper um close range and i guess lmg that's really it that i can think of mm-hmm. um it's interesting too because i think about this kind of um what can you do with silencers in a squad mm-hmm. and it, it mm-hmm. kind of like they're less important in squads because i find that it's really rare that everyone on the squad is going to have a suppressed weapon right and if everyone doesn't have one it's like it's a little bit moot because once someone starts opening up with their s um sks or something like that that isn't silenced and everyone on that part of the map (laughs) knows where you are even if the other people are silenced and so um, yeah i mean you can for example you can say like
1: oh, I see people a ways off. I'm just going to shoot them with my silencer and the right, rest of you right, guys right. hold off. So you can, you can do stuff like that. But I agree. It's like in the, in the places where it really matters, um, the, the silence is not going to mean a lot in squads mm-hmm. unless you're all silenced.
0: Right. Well, and this, it, it brings up an idea, which is if you do have someone who's silenced, it almost makes sense for them to be most effective to do a flank Or to work independently at a different angle, where the loud part of the squad, everyone's going to know where they're at. But if you have this flanker that's silenced, they just—I think it'd be harder to tell. Of course, there's the risk that you're isolating part of your squad, and if they get taken down, they're probably going to die. Which is kind of a a bigger question in squads is whether or not to move as a a tight pack Mm. or -hmm. whether or not to split up Mm -hmm. um, and have one person off as recon. Or to have um, even split up into duos, but still working together. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like pincher attack stuff, or um, you know, just working different locations. Which I find when I even when I play duos, when we start getting into the nitty gritty end game, I pretty much always split off from my partner <laughs> um, and try to work a different angle. Lone wolf, huh? Well, and not lone wolf. It's more if if you're both together. And they see one of you, they're gonna see both. Mm, that's true. And in their head, like they've they can kind of have everything figured out at that point. Right. And giving them that degree of certainty, I think gives them a big psychological advantage. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but if they only see one of you, and especially if people are, are good at moving and they'll get cut out caught out in the open, you know, it's usually possible to get covered, announce where this player is and then have that other person come in, especially in these tighter circles where I, I like to just work with a teammate um, opposite ends of the circle. So we'll start at the same spot and I'll say hook around counterclockwise on the edge of the circle and, and my teammate will loop, cl- loop clockwise and try to weed them out that way.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting, though, because I, uh,
1: I think it's very easy to just stumble, be one person to stumble upon two people. Mm -hmm. and just one versus two it's not the math is not good right you know so i think it's very dependent on your skill yeah um i think if i think it works better if one of you uh has a has a vantage right Mm -hmm. and then the other person so if one of you is able to cover the other person yeah yeah then that's that can be an ideal way to do it and
0: that's where those classes can come into place right is where if someone's long range they can hang back and the other person can push forward with an AR or something like that. Totally, yeah.
1: And I, I wanted to say, as far as classes go, is that I think, in you know, you can do, say like, I'm the sniper, I'm the LMG or whatever. But I think it can also just be valuable to just base your classes on what you've got, right? So just saying like, oh, we have two snipers on the team, so you know, the the rest of you do this right or if you're like oh all four of us have a sniper then maybe it's time to start playing a sniping game right mm-hmm. as opposed to a uh, storming houses and nading and and yeah kind of a game right yep. so yep. i think it's it's important to adapt your squad strategy to reflect what you actually have
0: yeah um, i agree yeah that makes sense also in late game just thinking about what I was saying about in duos, like, splitting up and doing different parts of the circle, oftentimes in late game in squads, you end up with squad, like, there's not full squads left. There's, often squads mm, have been whittled down. True. Most squads have been whittled down a little bit, and so there's two players left of it, maybe three. So a lot of times there's a bunch of solos left. And so I am kind of like this idea of in late game for squads play, splitting into duos, And Mm. still working together with that other duo, but um, staying somewhat separating yourselves physically and getting those angles on people so that you can work flanks Mm. and they don't know where your whole squad is at. That's very strong.
1: In fact, I've Mm -hmm. really been enjoying the four-person squad, two-person buddy system Mm -hmm. style. I think that's a very, very effective way to play the game.
0: Yeah. And...
1: I think it's you know if you're a beginning player or you're you're on a beginning squad. Um, I think two two really good play styles are we all stick together. That's one of them, or the other one is we do the buddy system, right? But you you do unless you have a master plan, you do regardless want to keep everyone close enough, right? Yeah. You you don't you know you don't want to have like a kilometer between you.
0: Definitely not. Yeah. Right, but like going through, say, like a town, you know, like one one group, one duo might move through the middle, and one one group might move through the edge, um, totally. or along the edge to kind of complement each other. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. totally.
1: So, um, anyway, that's that's probably about enough for us to talk about for our main segment. Um, so that we'll just keep revisiting these topics time and time again because there's so much to dig into. Um, but in the meantime, we really appreciate you guys listening to our podcast and it's always a pleasure showing up every week to bring you more in-depth strategy for this game. We all love, uh, remember you can always submit questions, comments, ideas, things you want to see to, uh, winner at gmail.com and look us up on YouTube. We're going to start posting more videos. And remember, you can join our Discord. It's a wonderful way to hang out with other PUBGers and have a good time. And uh, we will look forward to connecting with you next week. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Next week.